Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We are continuing and concluding our series called The Right Fight. Not the good fight, but the right fight. It is a good fight nonetheless, but we are talking about the right fight. And I want to quickly recap the last three weeks. Week number one, we looked at better the devil you know. We looked at the fact we do have an enemy, the devil, he is real. And one of the greatest tricks that he devised is to convince the world that he doesn't exist. And his plan is to kill, steal and destroy. The devil is a schemer. He fulfils his plans through his schemes. That was week number one. Week number two, we looked at taming temptation because we realise and understand that one of his great schemes is to tempt us into and to coax us into doing the wrong things. And we did a little bit of a case study on the devil based upon Matthew chapter four. And we learned that the devil tempts us to do wrong but God tests us to make us strong. Do you remember that, Monique? You remember that? You do? Fantastic. You, Dan, do you remember that? Excellent. And week number three, again, we addressed another scheme and that is is accusations. And so we looked at arresting accusation. He's an accuser. And according to Revelation, the early church overcame the accuser with the blood of the Lamb, in other words, the work of Jesus Christ and the word of their testimony. In other words, what they said about what Jesus did enabled them to overcome. And the book of Revelation is a book about overcoming life's adversities. And the devil, we said, knows your name, but calls you by your sin. But God knows your sin and calls you by name. Isn't that good news this morning? That yes, yes, we've done some things wrong. We've made some mistakes, but God knows us and He knows us intimately. He knows us by name. Which brings me to week number four. And week number four, I've simply entitled Dressed for Success, dressed for success. And we're gonna pick up from the book of Ephesians chapter six. You can't do a series on spiritual warfare without delving into Ephesians chapter six. And we wanna start from verse 10. Ephesians chapter six, verse 10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. And therefore put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Everyone say stand. Stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, the Bible says, take up the shield of faith, which can, be ex- can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I love this portion of Scripture. I've referred to it many times in my personal life and I've referred to it many times from this pulpit. And basically Paul is highlighting three responsibilities that we all have when it comes to spiritual warfare. Do you wanna know what they are? 
you do, I'm so glad you do because I'm going to share it anyway. But before I get into it, I just want to say this. God will not do for you what He expects you to do for yourself. I'm going to say that again. God will not do for you what He expects you to do for yourself. He will do many, many incredible things. He'll do many miraculous things. He'll do many things that are beyond our possibilities but He will not do for us what He expects us to do for ourselves. And in this portion of Scripture we've already read, it is very clearly stated that we need to be strong. Say, be strong. strong. In verse 10, it says, be strong. And it's interesting to note, it doesn't say do strong. It says, be strong. In other words, you can't do strong unless you first be strong. You've got to write this down. Maddie, write this down. This, this This is powerful. You cannot do strong unless you first be strong. We are human beings before we are human doings. And in order for us to do well, we need to be well first. We need to get our being right first. And our strength, the Bible says, is found not in us, but it's found in Him. It's, the Bible says, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Our strength is in the Lord and it's in His power. It's not in us and it's not in our strength. It's not in our power. It's in Him. In other words, our strength comes from being with Him. Jesus chose the very first disciples that they might first and foremost be with Him. Yes, they went on to do great things. Yes, they went on to disciple the then known world. Fantastic. But first and foremost, He just wanted people to be with. And it's as we are with Him, it affects and changes who we are. Our strength comes from being in His presence. And that's why as believers, we don't have to pray because we're believers. We pray because we wanna be with Him. We gather together because we wanna be with Him. We spend time with Him in order to be with Him. This is what I know. We, we are fighting a defeated foe. The enemy is a defeated foe. Having said that, Left to our own devices and our own strength, He is much stronger than us. And we cannot win the battle against the enemy if we rely on our own strength. Our strength is founded in Him. And so before we do strong, we have to be strong. Before we do mighty acts of valour, we need to make sure that our strength comes from Him. Otherwise, we're gonna fight a losing Battle. Are you with me this morning, church, online? Fantastic. Secondly, Paul says in this book of Ephesians, we need to stand firm. He says when, note not if, he says when. When the day of evil comes, not if the day of evil comes. Please don't be praying, God, I pray the day of evil doesn't come. No, days of evil will come to all of us. Thankfully, it's just a day, not a week, month or a year. Isn't that good to know? It's a day. And we do experience bad days. If you've ever had a bad day, it doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you a person that's in a very real battle. And Paul says that in light of this day of evil, we need to stand your ground. And that's our responsibility. For us to stand our ground is our responsibility. And I say that because God wants us to stand and not fall. And if you don't stand for something, you'll end up falling for anything. And so we need to make a stand. And the Bible tells us we need to stand against the devil's schemes. And as we've learned already, the devil is real and we are in a very real battle against principalities and powers. In other words, 
Surprise, surprise, shock, horror. Christianity is not just rainbows and butterflies. Wouldn't that be nice? But it's not always rainbows and butterflies. It's not always pleasantries that we desire. There is a very real battle. And this series is all about us taking our stand. And he goes on to say, having done everything, stand. It reminds us, once we've done everything, once you've prayed and once you've read your Bible and once you've done all those things you know to be right, then you've still got to stand. And sometimes when you've done everything right, nothing changes. And that's when you've got to stand. And only you can stand for you. These are things that Paul is saying that you have to do for yourselves. And the third thing he says is that you've got to put on. Everyone say put on. You know, when our kids were much, much younger, uh, we used to have to clothe them because they were, they were too young to clothe themselves. And I think every parent has experienced that. But then there comes an age where they're able to clothe themselves and every parent longs for that day when kids can do for themselves things that you had to do for them. Any parents out there, you had to do uh, lots of things for your kids and, and our desire was to train them in order for them to be able to do things for themselves. And I'm so grateful that with a child that is 22, one that is 20 and one that is 13, I can categorically tell you they can all clothe for themselves. And not only can they clothe themselves, they actually buy their own clothes, which is just awesome. And even better still, they buy their clothes with their own money. I mean, life just gets better and better and better. I know that's not good English, but it's just better. It's just good. And that's every parent's desire that you wouldn't do something for your kids that they can do for themselves. And they need to clothe themselves and they, they need to buy their own clothes. And then they, like Jordan has found out more recently, you've got you to move out of home eventually. And, and it's all part of the growth process. And I believe this is what made the early church so powerful. And we read it in Acts chapter 2, in verse 42, where it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, to giving. They devoted themselves. In other words, they didn't leave it for the leaders to do everything for them. They understood that they had a responsibility. And we see that the church grew on a daily basis. Why? Because they were in love with Jesus and they took on the responsibility for themselves, for the things that only they could do. Only you can read the Bible for yourself. Only you can pray prayers for yourself. And so the early church, I believe, was so powerful because they tapped into this understanding that they were able to devote themselves. And I'm believing churches, we gather together again. We're not gonna rely on everyone else to do anything for us, but no. Like Jackson Shane said, they were grateful for what they received, but now they're looking forward to give something back. That's New Testament Christianity. And uh, the Bible tells us when it comes to putting on things, more specifically, it talks about putting on our armour putting on our armour. Now, you need to remember that when this was written, it was written in the time of the Roman Empire. And Roman soldiers were everywhere. And Paul, who was the author of this book, he used Roman soldiers' armour as a metaphor. He basically took a Roman soldier's armoury and said, I'm gonna use this to highlight what it is that we need to put on when it comes to fighting our enemy. And the first one he talks about is the belt of truth. And this holds the other parts of the armour together. This belt was what held all the armoury together. Uh, it's like a modern day belt that, that holds our pants up. You know, there's nothing more embarrassing when your pants fall down and a belt stops our pants falling down and being exposed. Are, are you with me there? Maybe some of you had that 
incredible, embarrassing experience. I remember doing a wedding once and, and uh, the father of the bride was walking down the aisle and his pants fell down, right? I mean, I mean, I mean right down. I mean, right down. And it was filmed and it went on to Australia's Funniest Home Videos and won some money in our church of a wedding that I was conducting, right down. And uh, everything was exposed. And, 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 and that's what happens when we don't have truth in our life. Truth is what holds things together. It's what holds things together in our lives. Are you with me today? In Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, it says that He, speaking of God, existed before everything else. And He holds all creation together. In other words, He was before all things. And as a result of being before all things, He can hold all things together for good. And if we will put God first in our lives, He will hold things together in our lives. See, people's lives are falling apart because they've let go of the truth. We live in a world today where there seems to be no such thing as object truth. In other words, it's all relative. You know, my birth certificate says that I was born on the 18th of January, 1969 in Elizabeth and, and it says I am male. Mr. and Mrs. Rainbow, you gave birth to a baby boy. But today in 2020, I can actually choose whether I want to be male or female. It seems that relative truth, or sorry, object truth has gone out the window and you can be whatever you want to be. And your truth is your truth and, and that's okay. But I believe in order for us to have a strong Christian faith and a strong life that doesn't fall apart, we need to have a strong Genesis. We need to have a strong Genesis. What do I mean by that? Well, let's just uh, look at the life of Jesus for a moment because He was questioned on many occasions and tested on many occasions. And on one particular occasion, Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, they said, why, do, why did God issue a certificate? Or sorry, why did Moses issue a certificate of divorce? And the context is if God's against divorce, why did Moses issue a certificate of divorce? They were trying to trick and trap Jesus. And Jesus said, oh, that's easy. Jesus said, it's because your hearts were hard. And God didn't want people just killing themselves. So He actually made a way out because He loved people. But then He went on to say this, but in the beginning, it wasn't always that way. He took them right back to the book of Genesis. He said, in the beginning, God created man and woman, that they should be united and become one flesh, that they should leave their fathers and their mothers and be united, man and woman getting married. See, we need a strong Genesis. Without Genesis, we can make the truth whatever we want it to be. And without a strong beginning, without a strong foundation, truth does become relative. And we need to get back to the Word of God and find out what was God's heart for us and for our marriage and for our church from the very beginning, not based upon laws that are being added and changed today. This I know, you cannot build a godly life on a lie. You cannot build a godly life on your feelings. You cannot build a godly life on your own thoughts. We're talking about making a stand today. And in order to do that, we've got to put on the armour of God. Are you with me today? We've got to put on the belt of truth. Secondly, we've got to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And the, bless, uh, the breastplate was a piece of armoury that protected our heart. You see, the enemy wants to attack your heart. In actual fact, most Christians fall prey to a heart attack. 
Their hearts get attacked by the enemy and, and, and they're not protected because they don't have the breastplate, uh, breastplate of righteousness firmly fastened. And that's the area that attacks our heart because that's the area that we gave to God. We gave Him our heart. And He specifically attacks the area of our righteousness. What is righteousness? Well, in simplest terms, it simply means right standing with God. It means right standing with God. That we have right standing with God, not because of anything we've done, but because of what He did on our behalf. And the enemy wants to say, but ha, you made a mistake and therefore you are a mistake. That's how he attacks our righteousness. And he sows seeds of unrighteousness that lead to shame. We feel not, we're not worthy enough. We feel, you may have heard these words, you call yourself a Christian. It may have been verbalised to you or maybe of that inner voice and it just leads to shame. How could I have done that? I meant to be a Christian, I should know better. And the devil sows seeds of unrighteousness. But he's cunning. And he not only sows seeds of unrighteousness, but he also sows seeds of self-righteousness. And self-righteousness leads to pride. And the devil doesn't care whether he brings you down through shame or pride as long as he brings you down. And this is what I know about the enemy. If he can't hold you back, he'll push you forward. If he can't hold you back in your shame, if he can't hold you back in your sense of worthlessness, if he can't hold you back in your sense of uh, guilt, I'm not worthy. If he can't hold you back there, he'll push you forward and say, gee, you're a good Christian. Gee, you're better than that person. Hey, you were at church today, they weren't. And we start thinking, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. You know, I, I, I came to church and, and some people didn't. And so we start thinking more of ourselves than we are. And I, I want you to know, the devil doesn't care how he brings you down as long as he brings you down. Whether it's through pride or shame, he does not care. He does not fight fair as we learned just last week. He wants to bring you down. And we need to remember that our righteousness is not based upon what we do or what we haven't done. It's based upon what He has done for us. It's based upon His unchanging nature. He is good. And as a result, He is righteous. And we find our righteousness in His righteousness. Are you with me this morning, church? Fantastic. We're putting on some things this morning. The third one is the sandals of the gospel of peace. In other words, we need to put on these sandals to stand our ground and to take ground. See, these Roman soldiers had hobnails in the bottom of their boots in order to get a decent grip so that they could hold their ground. I remember as a young guy growing up playing soccer and obviously soccer was played in the winter months, which meant wet, dreary, Adelaide winters. And it was the studs on the bottom of the boots that gave us confidence to be able to run in the mud, to be able to stop and turn quickly. And without those studs, and I remember as our boots were getting older during the, as the season went on, as the studs got smaller or the ground got wetter, you'd lose your footing. And as a result, you'd lose your confidence because you'd be slipping and sliding everywhere. But, but a, 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 a good set of boots with the right studs would give you the grip, which would ultimately give you the confidence needed to be able to stand your ground. And when it comes to your shoes, this is what I want to say to you. You've got to choose your shoes. You've got to choose your shoes. See, many people today choose the shoes of complacency. We just get complacent. And I thank God for online church. I do. It's been an incredible tool. 
But let's not get complacent and think, oh, that, that'll do for now. No, we still need to gather together. You know, you may be enjoying church at home, but I want to know what you're enjoying at home didn't just happen. I'm looking at a myriad of people before me right now who are standing behind cameras and standing behind screens and standing behind computers. You've seen the worship team and they were here early this morning. Yes, we've been able to enjoy it at home, but it didn't just happen. It happened because people got here early and gave of themselves and gave their gifts. Let's not get complacent. Let's not choose the shoes of complacency in this season. Let's not choose the shoes of distraction, chasing lesser things. You know, there's some good things but they're lesser. Let's not, get, let, let's not lose our eternal perspective yes. that we have. Let's not choose the shoes of apathy. Yes. You know what? I don't really care. God's got it. If He wants to do it, He'll do it. Let's not choose the shoes of apathy. Let's not choose the shoes of laziness. Yes. Can I just speak to the people who are my age and that little bit older? You know, when you're my age and that little bit older and you've been in Christian circles for a long time or you've been a Christian for a long time, you start thinking, yeah, I've done a few things in the past. That should be enough. Now let's not get lazy now. If anything else, we need you more now than ever before because there's a younger generation that need people like you in their lives. We need you. We need you in this time. But no, Paul says that we need to be like those Roman soldiers who had their feet fitted and our our feet need to be fitted with gospel readiness. We need to partner in the gospel, partner in sharing our faith. And partner in purpose. This is not a time to go to sleep. It's not a time to get lazy, but it's time for purpose and partnership to work together. Because I believe we're in an incredibly exciting time. There are people who have never walked in church who are watching online. And I know through talking to many, many pastors that they're getting an online engagement from people who've never gone to church before. And I believe this is an incredible opportunity for a harvest such as we've never seen before. So right now, let's fit our feet with gospel ready. Let's be ready. As we come back next week, let's be ready. I'm looking forward not only to seeing all the old faces, but I'm looking forward to seeing many, many, many new faces in Jesus' Name as we move forward. You see, you'll either stand your ground or you'll be forever pushed around. And as a pastor, as a leader, my desire for you is that you would stand your ground. Paul's desire in writing this letter was that the church would stand their ground and stop being pushed around. Number four, the shield of faith. The shield of faith. This shield protected the whole body. It was about four foot high by two foot and it was covered in leather and it was to stop the flaming arrows. The enemy would shoot flaming arrows. Remember, they didn't have the weaponry that we have today and they would shoot these flaming arrows. And it's like the enemy that we face, he'll take a shot at you. And when the enemy takes a shot at you, he often operates with a covert attack, something subtle. It's usually the whispers. Did you hear what they said? Did you hear what she said? They don't like it when you. Have you heard the latest? And he'll often attack us with these covert attacks. Sometimes it's more overt. Sometimes he's very loud and proud about what he's doing. But more often than not, it's these subtle little attacks. And to this, I wanna simply say this. Don't let the attack hit your soul. Let it hit your shield. We can't do anything to stop some of the arrows coming our way. Notice Paul didn't say, here's here's the magical formula to stop this happening. He didn't say that. No, he said, when it happens, make sure it hits your shield and not your soul. Question, how do you know when it's hit your soul and how do you know when it's hit your shield? Well, I think there's there's a little good measuring stick right now. 
When we find ourselves saying, well, it is what it is. And I say it like that because when you say it is what it is, it's usually that way. Have you noticed that? If you say it is, you don't say, hey, it is what it is. It's usually, well, it is what it is. And it's saturated in discouragement. It's saturated in disappointment. That's when we know that the fiery darts have hit our soul. But that's why we need the shield of faith to protect our soul, to protect our hearts, to protect our bodies. And when the fiery darts hit our shield and not our soul, it changes our language. We no longer say, well, it is what it is. But we say this, it isn't what it is. And we had our faith, we had our yes and amen. Because faith is declaring things that are not as though they are. And we said, hey, it's not what it seems, people. It's not all over. It's better than that. We serve a God who is working all things together for the good. We face some tough things as a church. I face some tough things as a pastor, as have many of you in your lives. When I think back only a few years ago, 2016, I'm on my deathbed seemingly in hospital. And I remember very clearly God speaking to me. And I wasn't in bed saying, well, it is what it is. No, no, no. You know what? It's not what it is. It isn't what it is. And it actually serves an incredible purpose. I felt that year for me was an incredible year for me. And I got closer to God in ways I never had before. I really do believe with all my heart that the best is yet to come. Our best days as a church and our best days for you individually are ahead of us, not behind us. So come on, let's get those shields of faith up and protect our soul and let those fiery darts hit our shield and not hit our soul. Are you with me this morning? And just one thing about the shield, just an aside, that these shields, they had interlocking edges. And in battle, the soldiers would stand shoulder to shoulder and they would lock the shields together. And they were stronger together. And can I just say, as good as online has been, we are stronger together. We are stronger together. We are better together. We are better when we are joined. These soldiers had greater strength and greater power and greater protection when they were interlocked with those to their right and to their left. Number five, for the sake of time, the helmet of salvation. And the helmet of salvation is the, uh, the helmet protects your head or, or your mind. And that's where the enemy wants to attack you in the area of your mind. We spoke about that in week two. He wants to bring doubt and confusion, especially about your salvation. You know, there are many people in our church and in numbers of churches across this nation that doubt their salvation on a regular basis. And altar calls are filled week after week with the same people giving their life to Jesus again and again and again and again. And can I say, brothers and sisters, this should not be. I thank God that as a young man, I understood something that forever has held me. I believe with all my heart and it, and it was just, um, my mind was saturated with this truth that when I gave my life to Jesus, the old is gone and the new has come. That I'm a new creation in Christ and I no longer have to keep giving my life to Jesus again and again. I got born again once and that's all I need to do. I don't need to get born again, 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 again. 
I understood that when I gave my life to Jesus, I was no longer a sinner. I, you are not looking at a sinner. You are looking at a saint. You can call me Saint Tony if you like, because that would be biblical and it would be right and it would be fitting. And that would be true of every believer. You're no longer a sinner. You are a saint. You say, oh, but I make mistakes. Yes, yeah, so do I. But I sin, so do I. Yeah, but you're a saint that sins and it's different than being a sinner. Again, our genesis is really important. And the enemy wants to continue to confuse you about your salvation. If you've given your life to Jesus, you are saved. You are saved. And we don't have to date, uh, doubt our salvation. Sanctification, discipleship, maturity, that's a whole other conversation. But when it comes to ground roots, salvation, we need not doubt once we've given our lives to Him. Amen? And number six, which is our last point today, it's the sword of the Spirit. And it's the sword of the Spirit. The sword was the only offensive weapon. It was a weapon that was used for killing. See, it's not enough just to be protected. We must pick up the sword and fight. And what does Paul liken the sword to? He says categorically that the sword is the Word of God. And the sword pierces the body, but the Word pierces the heart. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, for the Word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The Word of God is powerful. We need to be people that uh, saturate ourselves in the Word of God. You know, I know there are some morning people and there are some afternoon people and there are some night people, but I think there's nothing better than getting up in the morning and saturating yourself first thing in the morning with the Word of God to prepare you for some of the fiery darts, some of the attack that is going to come your way. As we learn in week two, it was Jesus who overcame the devil. How? With the Word of God. He didn't sulk. He didn't suck his thumb. He didn't say, woe is me. He simply used the Word of God. Amen. Amen. That's okay, Monique. You can just... <laughs> so good. You know, the armour of God, it's a picture of Jesus, ultimately. You see, He is our truth. Jesus Himself is our righteousness. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's Jesus who is our salvation and it's Jesus who is the Word of God. So in essence, when we put on the armour of God, we're putting on Jesus. We're being a follower of Christ. We are being His hands. We are being His feet. And it's only in Him that you and I can truly stand. It's only in Him that we can truly experience victory. Remember, as I've said before, we have an enemy. And though he's a defeated foe, left to our own devices and our own strength, he is stronger than us and he will beat us every time. But when we put on the armour of God and when we walk in the power of Christ, victory is guaranteed in Him. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 